0: Welcome to Beeks and Geeks. I'm Amy. Today's guest is Gail Foreman. You may know her as the author of the bestseller, If I Stay, and she joins me today to talk about her new book, I Have Lost My Way. The book follows three teenagers who have experienced great losses, but end up finding each other. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So there are three storylines in this book. You kind of meet each character and then their stories interweave. Um, did you think of one storyline first? Did one immediately pop into your head?
1: Freya's storyline popped into my head in that that was the character who sort of whispered, I have lost my way into my ear. And I realized quickly who she was, that she was somebody who has sung her whole life and was this sort of up-and-coming star and midway through recording her debut album had lost her voice. Um, Ironically, even though that sort of clicked right away, I think it was the most difficult story to kind of figure out why she had lost her voice and why she had lost her way. That came latest in the process. So Freya came first, Harun came next, and he was sort of fully formed. Like I understood everything about him, why he had lost, what was going on with him as soon as we met. And then Nathaniel was the third on board. So they kind of came, they come in the book in the order they came to me.
0: When you describe Freya, she is a beautiful, young, up-and-coming singer um, who has come to fame on YouTube, basically. Um, Did you spend time watching a bunch of singers on YouTube? Did you kind of study that pre-fame? I
1: did. I studied it sort of on YouTube, but also while I was trying to figure out Freya, I happened to be at a really big book festival in Rio. And there were YouTube celebrities there, so people who'd become YouTube famous and then had written books. And I was sort of talking to them and about them and kind of understanding how the trajectory has changed. Because originally when I conceived of Freya, she was sort of like a a Justin Bieber-esque figure. But I think the way people are getting famous now on YouTube is different even than it was then where somebody discovers you. Now it's like the public discovers you. And then if you do kind of cross over into a mainstream circuit, that happens next. And so that was really helpful in understanding Freya's psychology and what it all meant to her and just what it meant that she might not be able to sing again. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's she's straddling a lot. She's like in between childhood and adulthood, and she's also in between anonymity and fame too. Um, there's this great moment where some fans approach her in a diner, and you can see that she can kind of like walk through the world a little bit unnoticed, and then all of a sudden, it's the most extreme attention.
1: Right, because she's sort of very famous in this realm, which is I think the case with a lot of YouTube stars. I think people who are not of that generation are really perplexed by it, but they have these huge following. And they have this immediate and direct conversation with their fans, which is something that Freya had loved. That, that meant a lot to her and for various reasons that she hadn't had that. Um, so, yeah, she can kind of walk through the world. Her mother likes to treat her as if she's famous. But Freya is always seeing everything her mother does as aspirational. So her mom being like careful about well, you shouldn't be out in public on the subways is less to do with the reality of how Freya is and then the reality her mother is projecting upon her. But then she will get in these situations and she will be recognized recognized by people like Haroon or
0: these girls in the diner. This is a very, very New York City book, too. The characters meet in Central Park. They kind of go around the city in recognizable places. Um, And it seemed extremely New York to me, especially in that they ran into each other because New York is a huge city and I run into people all the time. Isn't that like
1: your favorite thing about it here? Yeah. I was coming back from the Women's March and I, bu- I mean, there was like millions of people on the street and I bumped into a friend at the march of and course. then we were on the subway and we started talking to strangers and they became friends. But then I bumped into like two other people that I randomly knew on the subway. Yeah. And they don't live anywhere near me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And there, it, it is sort of this like serendipitous moment when all the characters meet and you're like, that's magical and fake. And then you're like, maybe not. <laughs> could happen. <laughs> But
1: that's the thing about New York City. Is why do I keep using it as a character in a book? I mean, I, I, I've had, I've said a couple books there, but I feel like this and Where She Went, which are sort of spiritual cousins really have New York City it, it's so elemental to what's going on and I, I can't stand the city it makes me crazy the subways don't work oh, there's so many things about it that make me want to just like bash my head against a wall but there is just that idea to borrow a phrase from another book of mine that, that anything can happen here that you, you will you might bump into anybody in the world yeah. and strange and magical things do happen here all the time and I think I love the city for that and so I do return to it in my novels.
0: So each one of the teenagers in this book, they each experience a very, very deep loneliness, but it's different from how the other one experiences it. Why were they able to bridge that divide so naturally? What what drew them together?
1: Talking about the magic, I do think there's an element of sort of metaphysical mystery in this and to life. So why, why these three? And would it have been any three people that would have connected over this? Because we all... We all suffer loss and we all feel disconnected and lonely even the happiest and most content among us. But I think you know when they first all meet they don't necessarily want to stay together. They have ulterior motives or reasons why they are clinging to each other in the beginning. But then this sort of thing starts to happen where I think they they start to without really knowing what's happening inhabit one another's loss. And there's a connection there and an understanding that they're related somehow. But there's also a relief for each of them to be able to step out of their own loss and into someone else's. And I think that you have this idea that in life when you're going through difficulty, the last thing you need is to take on somebody else's difficulty. It's more burden. But in fact, I think sometimes it can be helpful. There can be a relief in understanding that you are not the only one going through shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say shit on a podcast, but there you go. You're you're not the only one going through difficulty. And that in trying to help somebody else, you actually feel better. So that's sort of where they wind up moving toward, even though they don't really realize it at the time. They're sort of all killing time because they're all running away from sort of bad decisions they have made or might be
0: making. That's very different from the way that Nathaniel experiences people relating to his grief and his loss. Um, there's a great moment where you talk about how people asking him if he's okay are not actually checking in on him. They just want reassurance. It's kind of ridiculous to ask, like, how should we deal with horrible things? But what do you think is a better I mean, it's, way?
1: It's, it's a good point. It is contradictory to what I just said. Nathaniel is this person who will has broken my heart so many times as I've written this book. Because... This is somebody who so desperately needs someone to just look out for him and nurture him. And every step of the way, people are almost terrified by just how badly Nathaniel needs it even though he does not express that he needs it but it's just so clear from his life he needs some help and I think people are intimidated by that and it it makes you deeply uncomfortable because again, I think you think the idea of taking someone else's difficulty on is just going to add to your own pain so people are always asking Nathaniel like you're okay right and it just he knows he knows from experience that what they want to hear is right so I suppose that if you see somebody who you think is in pain if it is making you uncomfortable maybe it's better to talk to somebody else about it rather than to dispose of your own
0: discomfort by minimizing theirs you used to write for Seventeen magazine and I've read that you really enjoyed writing for that magazine and wrote some really wonderful stories why do you love writing for young adults specifically and why have you stayed doing that
1: That is a very interesting question. And the answer that I used to give was that I write about young people, but I don't write young stories. That the stories that I tell are usually things that adult me, at whatever age I'm at, needs to work through. But for whatever reason, the kind of characters who come to inhabit those stories are between the ages of 17 and 25. But when I wrote an adult novel, which is my last book, Leave Me, I had to sort of think a little bit more about why that was. Why was it that most of the characters who had come to me were younger? And I think I thought about it and came to what seems like a truthful answer, which is that when you are young, you are allowed to feel your feelings, I think people expect young people to feel things intensely. And then there is this idea, which I think is a complete myth, which is that as you get older, your feelings become muted. When in truth, the sort of social acceptability of expressing those feelings quite so deeply becomes less. So adults learn to kind of mute their feelings or they don't own them as much. So writing adult characters, which I found when I was writing the adult novel, you spend a lot of time looking at sort of the various consequences of them sublimating what they're really feeling and hiding from it. And that happens in a young adult novel as well. You often have characters that are unreliable narrators and who are not self-aware at the beginning of the book. But I think there is more sort of allowance of letting those characters feel things with such deep intensity. And to me, that's incredibly appealing as an author, just to kind of really be able to kind of go in there and not have to sort of construct several walls around it. So I think that is the answer I came to is why I'm drawn to talking, having sort of young people
0: tell the stories that I write. That sort of ties into this journal that you're putting out as well.
1: I know, I wish this was an audio, a, know, a visual I could, I medium, see, medium now so we can show out. people. <laughs> but Amy is now pulling out a slim
0: <laughs> sort of sampler of Pour Your Heart Out. Yes, Pour Your Heart Out is the journal with quotes and images um, inside of it that are quotes from Gail's books and um, has beautiful illustrations. So what can you tell me about this, this journal?
1: So I wish I could take credit for this journal, but it was just the idea of the sort of wonderful people at the publisher who I guess are doing two of these books. They're called Pour Your Heart Out, and they feature quotes from me in one of them, and the other one is Jane Austen. Good company. We're going on tour together, so I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, and what it is is it's it's quotes, and I think they chose reader qu- reader favorite quotes from the books with these gorgeous illustrations that are also – prompts for readers to um, draw pictures or write lists or write songs so i love it the illustrations are so fantastic i wish i could show you so i'm going to just open to a random page and there's a quote that says that's the kind of story you share with a good friend and then the next page is a write a letter to your friend describing the day you first met so it's a lot of like really fun things like that it was funny when they were sending me the quotes, I kept having to Google them because I didn't recognize them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I'm like, sure I did write them. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, that
1: is that is from one of my books. But I, I was like, no, that that's not right. So uh, this is also coming out the same day as I have lost my way. And I'm sort of selfishly excited because I have a 13-year-old daughter and I'm going to Give it to all her friends as gifts. Oh
0: my gosh, that's that must be interesting, having a 13-year-old. When you write for younger audiences, too, does she does, does she read before things are published?
1: She will read before things are published. She will help me with things. I think I would probably not have known the correct use of the verb to ship <laughs> were it not for my daughter. So she keeps doing Do me... you have
0: a ship? Do you ship anybody?
1: Do I ship anybody? Oh God, like... No, not people that aren't <laughs> together. I'm trying to think. That's a good question. I mean, I ship my own characters. <laughs> that's, that's sort of creepy. That doesn't count. No. count.
0: <laughs> you're in control of that ship. Yeah. Uh, one thing I always like to ask other people, the people who come on the show, are books that you're excited that are forthcoming. Um, you know, books or authors that you're super, super excited to read, and the book that you always just press into somebody's hand and you're like, this one. You have to read this one. If you haven't read this one, read this one. That
1: is such a good question. So I just read a book that's not coming out until the fall. Well, that's hard. It's hard. It's it's the new Deb Coletti book called, I think, A Heart in the Body in the World. I might even have that wrong. But that is the one that I will be pr- telling people about because it just blew my mind. I have not read a young adult book in a while where I was just, just thought this was a book everybody needs to read. So that is one of them. Um, I feel like I'm always telling everybody about Jacqueline Woodson, but now, of course, everybody knows about Jacqueline Woodson, (laughs) but that was sort of one. When I read Brown Girl Dreaming, I was like, everybody in the world must read this. What else? I've been reading some interesting sort of adult nonfiction that I've been telling everybody to read lately. I don't know if that's of interest, but there's a book called uh, Strangers in Their Own Land, which came out a couple years ago by Arlie Arlie Russell Hockchild. And It is one that has been very illuminating to me on what's going on, sort of the divide in this country. So I've been like pushing that on everybody. Um, So I think those are the ones that I'm super excited about that are about to come out. I've had a very good, very good run recently of delightful books. Oh, good. Yeah.
0: Well, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. It's such a pleasure talking to you. It
1: was great to be here. Thanks, Amy.